You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. Matt Levine and Lila Bromberg with you here to recap one of the most exciting games in Maryland football program history, one of the best comebacks in the history of the program. And we'll get to that. We'll get to all the national recognition that Maryland and its players are getting after that game. And then we'll talk about some news around the Big Ten, as well as a big preview of the game against Penn State this weekend in week three of the Big Ten season, a game that is was anticipated to sort of be pretty lopsided, but I think this might be a little bit more competitive than people might have thought early on in the season. So, Lila, we'll start with you. You, predict- you know, you know. Before I just, I just, there's something I would love you to say to to start the podcast, and I, I think you know what it is. Oh, I was just getting to it. You predicted overtime. In, I did in min in the Minnesota game. Uh, I think you received some comments on our podcast that it was an outrageous take, but uh, you, you did say that it was going to go to overtime, and it did. Yeah, I mean, I uh, the people listening probably don't know this, but Matt and I are very competitive about our takes. We got very heated with the NBA playoffs, and, you know, my takes were right there. They're right here, so, you know, might sound crazy of a time, but, I mean, this is why you guys listen to this to Studio Times podcast. We're going we're gonna to tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> One of us will probably be right. So. so, yeah, I mean, you mentioned this was an exciting game. I mean, for me, it was already exciting going into it because I hadn't been back in a press box since March. And if people know me, they know how nerdy I am about being a sports journalist, how much I just love being at games, being in that environment. And it, of course, wasn't the same. But just to be back itself was so exciting. And this game was just probably the most exciting game I've ever covered. You mentioned one of the best games in program history. So there's a lot to go over, but just to go, I'll go over some of the basics uh, just in terms of history and we can, you know, discuss some of that. So kind of starting first off, I think the thing that jumps off the board for this game is the performance of quarterback Talia Tungavailoa. It was just someone we talked about last week. We had a feeling he would bounce back, but I don't think even I thought that he would have a game like this. He became just the third Big Ten player over the last 20 seasons with 350 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns in a game. The other two were Dwayne Haskins in 2018 and Zach Kustuk, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, at Northwestern in 2001. And both of those guys were three-year player, players at that time and then went to the draft the following season. Um, he also had the 10th most single passing yards in program history and the most since Danny O'Brien in 2010. Uh, and then with, along with him, you also had Jake Funk. Uh, and it was the first game program history of the school had a 300-yard passer, along with a 200-yard rusher in Jake Funk, who really showed that he is not only back and forth, but looking better than he has ever had. Uh, you had two... 100-yard receivers. You can go over some of the other things as well. There's just like – it was one of those crazy games. Oh, without question. I mean, just so many firsts. It was the long – it was also the longest field goal that Joseph Petrino hit in his career that made it a one-possession game late in the fourth quarter, Uh, 51-yard field goal that he actually missed from the same yardage mark earlier on in the game right before halftime. And Henry Malone wrote a great feature on that. If people uh, are checking out to Studio Times and listening to this on the site, make sure you go read Henry's feature. It, it's really incredible. Um, by far, my favorite article he's ever written. Yeah, just so many different things like that, that it was just so many firsts, so many records broken, just things like that that haven't happened in so long in this program. And, and it, it's, it's been a downslope pretty much for a while in this program and that game I know that it happens pretty much every year where Maryland wins its first two games pretty much and then everybody thinks they're the best team in the country and then they well no uh, no one ever thinks they're the best I'm, team in the country but yeah I'm, I'm over exaggerating <laughs> but you know what I mean. um I, I think with a win like that it I mean just with a quarterback that, to play like that it's so promising uh, yeah I don't I don't want to slander Josh Jackson and and Tyrell Pigram and and Kasim Hill. But since I got to school here in August of 2018, I have not seen a Maryland starting quarterback 
play as well and look as good skillfully as Tonga Vailoa did in this game. I mean, yeah, I, since I got here even before that, I haven't since following the team before, but I haven't even seen that many college football players look this good. I mean, if you look at just some of the plays he was doing, I mean, he had a play to Rakim Jarrett where it's people say throwing on the run, right? And throwing on the run usually means you're getting out of the pocket, you're running, but you're stopping before you throw. But like he had this Patrick Mahomes-esque throw where he's literally throwing on the run and just flicking it. Throws an incredible pass to Kim Jarrett. Just I have never seen a Maryland quarterback that I remember in recent years be able to move that well in and out of the pocket, be able to create incredible plays. I mean, I knew that he was a good passer, right? We had talked about this. Um, he was known for being such an elite passer, for over 14,000 passing yards in high school. I did not expect him to be this good on the run, that 39-yard uh, run he had. And then we mentioned Jake Funk. He had a record-setting game, too, the 11th most, uh, the 11th best yards per carry percentage in a game all time. Sorry, yards per carry, not percentage. He had 10.5. And his 221 rushing yards are the 11th most in a single game in program history, with the last being Anthony McFarland against Ohio State in 2018. Yeah, and we remember everybody remembers that game that also went into overtime the ohio yeah. state game that you just mentioned so i think that it it might he, he when the maryland's running game is working as well as it is like that with funk and like that you mentioned with mcfarland that opens up so many other things for its offense and with a quarterback that can now pass the ball move the ball so many different things run out of the pocket escape pressure he was so good, Matt. Like, I, I, I've watched those highlights. Like, Big Ten Network has his highlights, and I wrote an article on him, so I was watching a bunch for that. I was editing Wes's film review and then just kind of talking about it with my other sports journalist friends around the country. Like, I've rewatched those the highlights Big Ten just has of him. If anyone has the time, just take a look, because when I'm watching the game or covering the game, I didn't notice it, but the way he moved out of the pocket, the way he escaped from, off, from uh, linemen, the – just he looked so good and so confident and you just got to hope that that continues yeah especially after a, a poor debut for Maryland in week one he comes out and just pretty much looked like he had the most confidence in the country um, and I think that's so important to just be able to flip the page in the book and go to the next game mm -hmm. and, and I think it's also important after a game like that to not get too high and flip exactly the page again. And still have that confidence, knowing what you can do, and just take that into the next game and run with it. Right, and and we'll get into kind of the concerns right now, which are really around the defense. But just you, you mentioned Jake Funk, and I think what's interesting is right. You mentioned that game with Anthony McFarland in 2018, but that was a year where you really had the uh, rushing core divided. You know, you you have a guy like Ty Johnson, you still have uh, Javon Leak in there, um, you have Tayon Fleet Davis. You have a bunch of other guys in there, um, and I'm pulling it up right now. If you look at the 2018 stats or really any other year, you always have those top two backs or so for Maryland football, but you have a running back by committee. And before the season started, we were talking about how we thought even more so it would be a committee this year, but we've seen the complete opposite. Um, Tana Fleet Davis has been held out by the university following, um, you know, the DUI he got last season. Um, and they're waiting to hear when he's going to be able to be back. Uh, and, and so Jake Funk right now has 256 yards for two games. He is second in the entire country um, in uh, yards per attempt, which we'll get into in a little bit. But and then you have Penny Boone. He doesn't he I think he has like 30 yards. But yeah, I mean, you look at that year 2018 you mentioned. You have one, two, three, four, five backs over 300 yards. You look at last season and, uh, you know, you obviously have those top two guys, but you're still getting contributions from other people. And we don't know if this will continue. You know, we don't know when Tayon Fleet Davis will be back, if the freshman will be better, but we're really seeing something out of Jake Funk that I did not expect coming back. You know, he's had two ACL tears in two years. It's just very impressive, and you, and you love to see it for a guy like that who we know have just heard the stories of how hard this experience was, how hard, hard he has grinded to get back here. Yeah, it's, it's a heartwarming story for a guy like that. Just, he's so humble, too. Um, just no matter who he's talking to, he's so 
he opens up to you and it's almost on a personal level there, even when you first talk to him. Um, but just to see a guy succeed like that, it's, it's very nice, especially after two ACL tears missing nearly two full seasons. Um, finally back in his fifth year here and he breaks out for his best career is the best game of his career by far. He had a career high in carries, career high in yards. Just, it was just an all around performance for him. And again, I think it's so important to have, we saw when Anthony McFarlane was gone, the passing game with a quarterback capable of throwing the football would open up. More. And running now too. Like he, he so looks so good. He looks so good. Like, he really did like and you don't know if that's gonna happen every week but you can't deny how good he looked yeah. and we'll get into some of the words he's been getting in a little bit too um but are just, you concerned at all though that you only have funk as that top guy right now like obviously that's good to have but you look at penny boone he only has 31 net yards isaiah jacobs only has 15 they're averaging 5.2 and 2.5 yards per carry you know right now talia has the second most uh, rushing yards on the team. As we mentioned, Fleet Davis is out. Is that at all a concern for you if um, a team is able to bottle Funk up? Um, I, I, I mean, like, you, you can't say no, that it's not a concern when you only have one guy going. Um, but if they get these – if they get Isaiah Jacobs involved, if they get Penny Boone involved and just – they need more experience under their belt. Obviously, that comes with playing in games. But – and they got to take better care of the football. That's a big exactly. thing. That's, that's what I was getting to. They, they need to somehow work on that in practice. Just, I mean, you've seen it with Jacobs and catching kicks. He already muffed two of them. Uh, he muffed one to start the game against Minnesota. Luckily, Maryland, for their sake, they recovered it. But he, I mean, just catching kicks, he was catching with his hands above his head instead of just kind of catching it in like a basket formation. But I don't know. I think just being so young, they need more experience. And I think without question, Jacobs, it has so much upside. Uh, I, I would expect him to be an NFL player at one day with that size and the skill and just his brother being in the league now and just everything. His brother's he, in, like he'll learn. in the league. What'd you say? Oh, Isaiah Jacobs. I thought you were talking about Fleet Davis there for a second. Yeah. Josh Jacobs has been incredible. Uh, He's been doing really well fantasy-wise, I know, in my league for some of my friends. Yeah, no. So, without question, I think that the way Josh Jacobs learned under Loxley will be similar to how Isaiah Jacobs and how Isaiah Jacobs will learn. And, I mean, we didn't really see it from Josh Jacobs as a freshman at Alabama. Granted, there's so much talent there. Uh, you can't. I'm not going to compare the two offenses. But in a team like this with a running back – of Jake Funk's caliber playing as well as he did in this game. If you see that continue, obviously no concerns right. at all. But if, as you said, if a team starts to get to him the way kind of Northwestern did, Maryland's offense didn't have anything. I don't really think it has to do all with Funk. I think if the passing game is working, that's going to open up the run game and vice versa. So I think all around, if the offense is going, he's going to go. Um, so it's not too much of a concern for, for me there, but if Maryland's offense is struggling, I would say you got to get the other guys looks, um, and they just need to take care of the football better. Right. You mentioned the passing game. This again was something that we talked about as a huge point of emphasis going into this year, but the passing game was going to be a huge part of this team. And you really saw that in this past game. I mean, you have a guy like Leah and you have him thrown all these different wide receivers. We mentioned, um, Dante Demas Jr. and Jayshon Jones um, both had over 100 yards in that game. Right now on the season, uh, you know, Demas is averaging 12.9 a catch. Jayshon is 17.5. Um, and then you've been seeing Rakim Jarrett, Daryl Jones, Brian Cobbs all in there uh, play a consistent role as well. And, you know, that really has been a strong suit for Maryland. And when you have a quarterback like Leah who – really just had and Loxley pointed this out too just had perfect ball placement there's one touchdown late to Demas where it just perfectly floated into his hands in the end zone um and if you can keep having a guy like that who can throw really well in the pocket can throw well outside the pocket and get outside the pocket seem like he's rushing and then throw that great 
pass on the run. I mean, if they can continue to look like that and, you know, the offensive line looked good too. Of course, Leah had to escape some defensive linemen at times, but he was able to do so. But there were times where he had a lot more space in the pocket than a Maryland football quarterback would in uh, recent years. I mean, yeah, just to start with his ball placement, I noticed that from watching on TV, I wasn't at the game, um, just watched in my apartment. And that was the first thing I noticed, the way he was hitting um, receivers on routes across the middle, whether it was a slant, a post in, whatever, didn't matter. A lot of deep balls. A lot of deep balls too. But the way he was hitting the receivers in stride, um, not every time. There was a great catch that Daryl Jones made that he had to leap up for at the sideline. But they just a majority of these throws, nearly all of them almost, it seemed like, were right on the money. And that touchdown that Jayshon Jones had, he only had three catches. He had 100 yards. It was over a 70-yard touchdown. I don't remember the exact yardage. But he caught that on just like a, a, a small little slant route and just broke free. And that's all ball placement. If the ball was thrown a little bit behind him, a split second behind Jay Sean Jones, he's getting tackled after he catches that ball. So the way he just led his receivers created so much more for them and allowed them to score um, and la- allowed them to move the football. They converted on third downs. He only took one bad sack on a third down, and it was late in the game, but they made up for it uh, right after that on defense by getting a stop. So there were just so many things that – he did so well that I haven't seen from other quarterbacks. His vision is phenomenal. He just looked all over the field. He wasn't just looking at like sometimes you see quarterbacks dead eye one guy there, one guy that they have on a hot route that they want to hit and they won't turn their head. He wasn't doing that. He's looking everywhere, seeing who's the best option to throw to and he hit them on the, on a dime. And I think that's as much needed as Maryland's offense has ever needed it before um, when they had, Josh Jackson opt out and obviously Lance Lejean is a great prospect, but we haven't really seen too much from him just because he redshirted as a freshman. I mean, Leah's going to be, you could just tell if he performs like he did in that game, he's going to be a really good uh, player for his program. This is only his sophomore season, first year of the program. And before we get into the defense, I mean, I want to kind of just talk about those awards we mentioned and, um, how he ranks nationally. Um, and then we can really get into defense because that it definitely is a concern at this point, but something that turned around later in the game. So looking at Leah, um, he was selected as a Big Ten co-offensive player of a week alongside Justin Fields. And just to give you guys the exact numbers for him, because I don't know if we did that a few minutes ago, um, he was 26 for 39 394 passing yards and three passing touchdowns. He did have the interception. um, And then he had eight rushes for 59 yards and two touchdowns. So ended with 453 total yards and five touchdowns. And that performance earned him the Big Ten Player of the Week honor, as we just mentioned. Uh, He was also the Maxwell Award Player of the Week. And he had uh, two other awards as well. He was featured on the Davey O'Brien Grade 8 list and was selected for the Manning Award Star of the Week. And my apologies, it was 26 of 35, not 39. And then you look, I mentioned Jake Funk, and he, as I mentioned, is currently second in the country in yards per carry. He is also fifth in rushing yards per game right now. So that's 9.5 yards per carry and 128 rushing yards per game. Um, And then looking at a guy like Chance Campbell, He has been so impressive. He is tied for first in the nation in tackles per game with 14.0. They round that up. It's 13.5, but for those stats, it rounds it up. And he's, um, you know, tied there for the lead. That also, of course, leads the Big Ten. He leads the Big Ten with 27 total tackles and 15 solo tackles. And his 7.5 solo tackles per game are tied for second in the entire country. He ranks second in the Big Ten in tackles for loss with four and average tackles per loss per game. I mean, Chance Campbell, we're going to talk about how bad the defense was, but before we talk about how bad it is, Chance is playing so well right now. I mean, think about that. He is tied for the lead in the country in tackles per game. He's been so good. It's it. You can't 
you can't even put it any other way. He's just, he hasn't made too many mistakes. He's been getting to the quarterback. He's been getting, putting pressure on the quarterback. Um, and he's a sack on the season as well. Yeah. He's been, if he's not get, tackling the quarterback, he's at least putting pressure on the passing game. And I think the defensive line might not be rushing the quarterback as well, but it's definitely opening up some of the, the holes that Campbell can run through. Uh, and and get to the running back or well Maryland's obviously struggled stopping the run but I think that's sort of helped stop the passing game in a way Um, and someone asked Loxley this in the media availability before the Minnesota game how do you stop Rashad Bateman the wide receiver who's on pace to be a first round pick after the season and he said it starts with getting to the quarterback and mixing up reads and things like that mixing up speed how you are going to throw off the passing game just putting pressure on the quarterback is pretty much all you can do and he's been doing a phenomenal job at that um and then obviously he's pretty much everywhere the ball is almost the way like Antoine Brooks was last year obviously a little bit different positions um but and ranking better nationally but yeah very different positions like the, the way you found Brooks next to or in the pile of tacklers is kind of the way we see Chance Campbell. He's just always near the football. Um, and that obviously comes with um, experience and just having a great football IQ. He kind of knows where the play's going. And he's just such a smart player, and he's really executing so far. Right. I mean, and then I think a big part of helping the passing, stopping the passing game, and for context, they only allowed 189 passing yards to Minnesota. Yes, it probably was still a little bit much and we'll get into the rushing defense, which is really the issue right now. But in addition to chances play, Tarheep still looked, has looked really good in games so far. I've been talking with, um, you know, past defensive backs for Maryland will likely is one of them. Um, and they've just been telling me like how good this kid is going to be, how great he looks right now. Um, and, and so that'll be interesting. We'll talk about how it's interesting to watch this week. But, you know, Chance can't do this by himself. Like you mentioned, the defensive line has not looked good. That's another thing that a lot of alumni have been telling me is that this defense line is not performing where it needs to be. Maryland will be getting a lot of reinforcements there next season, bringing in the best defensive line class in the entire country, bringing in some of the best defensive linemen this program has ever seen. Uh, they've always struggled to recruit that position. But it's a problem right now, and that's something that you're going to want to see develop um, because Maryland allowed 262 rushing yards in that game on 50 attempts, um, and you saw how well Mohamed Ibrahim was. They just could not stop him until they got those stops at the end. So I'm curious to know, what have you thought about their performance so far, and how much does the end of that Minnesota game where they're able to get those stops, what does that say to you? Well, I think that – at the end of that game, just getting those stops, it's a momentum thriller, obviously. Uh, when the offense is scoring, you want to stop the opposing team to get your offense the ball back and try to win the game. So that's more situational. Um, but if they're in a game where they're either up or down by a lot, I don't think they would have been as um, as well in executing the way they did at the end. Um, but this Minnesota's offense was just all run. Ibrahim uh, had 41 attempts rushing, and Tanner Morgan finished with only 15 passing attempts at quarterback. I think he only had five passing attempts at halftime. Uh, right. And I believe that they only had one yard total in the fourth quarter. If it wasn't one, it was somewhere around single digits, which was absurd by the defense at the end for Maryland. But just the way that they, that Minnesota – just abused the run game and abused Maryland's defense with that. 41 attempts, 207 net yards, four touchdowns for Ibrahim. Uh, this, this guy was a monster. Most of that came in the first half, obviously, because Maryland's offense started to heat up and the defense stopped them in the second half for the most part. Um, yeah, not the second half of them. I mean, they slowed him down, but they didn't really slow the offense down until that fourth quarter. Yeah, well, yeah, in the fourth quarter, there was nothing for their entire And offense. Chance Campbell had two of those really key third-down stops. 
again, this guy has just been phenomenal <laughs> for them. But it, And I'm waiting for Ace. I think Ace is going to start heating up soon as well. Um, an update is that Shaq Smith right now currently is not going to be playing this week. Um, we didn't really get much details on that situation. Um, there's not much we can share there, but uh, he, he was out. Um, it's a bit unclear why. It seems to be somewhat injury. Not injury, but some sort of health relation. We don't know, but he's going to be out there this week. Um, he was out last week as well. And that's a guy that w- was supposed to be so good last year and l- struggled a little bit. But Yeah, when he had that groin injury. Yeah, so they they have guys that can step up and can certainly play well on defense. It's just the thing they need to focus on is stopping the run game. Mm-hmm. And they did that exceptionally well in the fourth quarter um, of the game against Minnesota. They didn't do it at all in the Northwestern game. And I think they're going to have a much, much easier time stopping the run this week against Penn State. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that. But, t- but two other concerns I have through these first two games. One is penalties. So in this game against Minnesota, uh, you had for Maryland, they had 10 penalties for 97 yards. Against Northwestern, they had six penalties for 60 yards. So that's something that definitely I know Locks has expressed some frustration with, and that is something that needs to be cleaned up because you're just giving yards away there that do not need to be given away. I think Maryland had one drive in this Minnesota game that was just – it was a great drive, and it just got completely ruined by penalties. So that's not something that you want to see. And then also you've had um, fumbles in each of these games, and you've had – other turnovers in each of these games. So those are two things that are just kind of like something that can easily be cleaned up. It's just kind of being smarter in your decisions. And Loxley always talks about that, not beating yourselves, uh, not beating themselves as a team. And that all comes with discipline and just not committing bad penalties. Um, And there were some that were fairly bad against Minnesota, but they made up for it. And at that point, all you can be happy about is winning the game. And then you kind of have to go back and sort of look at what you can fix and do better. Right. And I mean, cause one, the one fact of the matter is they mounted a 17 point comeback. Like that was great to watch. I, I certainly didn't expect that. I had said, I thought over time going into the game, but once we already started, I was, I, I wasn't really sure. And, you know, we're just going to, like you said, look to build off that and, and see if they can replicate that late defensive performance in, in week two. And I think, as I said before, we'll get into it a little bit later, but that defense is, gonna, in my opinion, going to have a much easier time this week in terms of stopping the run. Um, we'll get into that, though. But it's you've had two games of just – I don't even know the right word to explain the way Northwestern and Minnesota ran the football. Um, And it's not just because Maryland's defense was struggling. They were just pounding the ball. 41 attempts is mind boggling almost another 200 yard rusher in the game for Minnesota as well. So they really did things, both teams, Northwestern and Minnesota did things well. And it wasn't just because Maryland was struggling. Right. That's definitely going to be something interesting to watch we definitely want to get into that Penn State preview for these guys and just an update of things around the Big Ten before we do get to that point Wisconsin's game was canceled for a second straight week as they continue to deal with COVID within the program they've had more players test positive um, and that game was against Purdue and if they've won more game canceled they will not be eligible for the Big Ten title game they were the best contender in the West going into the season. It now seems like that team is going to be Northwestern, who's now 2-0 and after having a big win uh, over Iowa. So we'll see what happens there. But there's definitely um, going to be a lot of shakeup in the Big Ten West. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. Anytime in an eight-game season, they're losing two games already. Um, you have to hope and pray they don't lose another one. But it's just – it's so crazy. We talked about it on the season preview podcast, how unprecedented everything's going to be. And then you see this phenomenal game from Graham Mertz, freshman quarterback for Wisconsin. And then I don't even think it was two days later and they were making headlines that he had tested positive. Um, So just things like that, that you can't prepare for that at all. And it's just, 
everything's being made up so on the fly. Obviously, the way the Big Ten is handling it, they had that planned out. But when you have to have your second game canceled after you already had one, um, now they're going to week three. They're going to only play one game in those three weeks. I think that can when they when they do come back. Obviously, those players when they come back, they're going to have to build their way back into it. Um, but also just the guys who haven't tested positive after not playing for two straight weeks, they're going to have to build themselves back up as well. So it kind of hurts the program in a way, just not being able to play. Um, it's very unfortunate, especially with them being one of the best teams in the conference. And I, I just hope that they are able to be eligible for the Big Ten title game and not lose any more games. And it's also frustrating for a team like Nebraska and Purdue or not Nebraska, I'm sorry, Illinois and Purdue, I believe. Or wait, it wasn't Nebraska. Um, Illinois was a Fowler starting quarterback, I will say that. Wisconsin. And we don't really know play, what's happening there. Wisconsin was scheduled to play Nebraska last week, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it, it, Nebraska and Purdue, which are Wisconsin's opponents, that's frustrating for them, just right. not being able to play in a game. Um, so it, it Right, just, it, there's it a lot of tension them. between Nebraska and the Big Ten just yeah. in general. Yeah, and it, it just impacts so many other people not just who they can spread it to, but just the other team that can't play a game now, whatever it might be. And Purdue's head coach had tested positive earlier on the season. so Right, and then uh, uh, Illinois, Illinois, who actually played uh, Purdue, their quarterback, starting quarterback Brandon Peters is out now for 21 days. Their tight end Griffin Moore is out. They both had COVID. So it's interesting. You're definitely seeing more of an effect in the Big Ten West, which if I'm being completely honest, I expected. Um, you know, you have more rises and, and not as strict restrictions in terms of outside of football um, in the Midwest. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects things, but it certainly doesn't seem to be having any effect so far in the Big Ten East. But you mentioned, in, oh, you know, missing two games, and Maryland is now getting ready to play a Penn State team that has lost two games, doing so to start the season for the first time since 2012. They lost 36-35 to to Indiana in overtime in week one. And then they lost 38-25 to to Ohio State in week two. Just what is your reaction to that off the bat? It's, it's not something you see often with this team, and especially since they were ranked top 10 to begin the season. Well, they're a team that lost some of their best talent. Um, and they are also a team that beats up on non-conference opponents and then goes rides that momentum into Big Ten play. But when they suffered an upset loss to Indiana, Indiana is pretty legit in my opinion. Um, and Michael Penix Jr. ran that football in, reached for the pylon. Personally, I thought he was short, but they called it a touchdown. They were not going to review that. They were not going to change that, rather, after the review. Uh, so that's a very frustrating loss for Penn State. Ohio State, I expected that. Ohio State, right. by far the best team in the country or in the conference, a top three team in the country. And I think losing to them, they lost by 13, but they didn't necessarily get blown out the way Ohio State could blow out a team. But they didn't look competitive. They didn't look competitive, but they didn't get blown out. The score didn't, they, they, they didn't look competitive, but the scoreboard didn't necessarily show that. Obviously they lost by two touchdowns, but they didn't look the way Nebraska did against Ohio State in week one when it was 50-something to seven. Um, so that's something to be I, – I don't know if you can even be optimistic about that, just being 0-2. It's I, – I think they'd come out in week three and try to abuse Maryland the way they have over the past couple seasons, uh, past several seasons actually. But um, just being 0-2, Penn State, a top 10 – ranked top 10 in the country, now unranked. It's almost shocking, and I think that adds into even more how crazy this season is. Yeah, and you mentioned them being without some of their best players. So they lose a bunch of great guys to the draft. You lose one of your best players in defensive end, your Tur Gross Matos. You lose wide receiver K.J. Hamler, cornerback John Reed, linebacker Cam Brown, and defensive lineman Robert Windsor. And then you have by far your best player, linebacker Micah Parsons, opt out for the season to prepare for the draft where he is going to go high in the first round. But the big thing that we are going to be watching this week that we're going to get into is that Penn State is without their two best running backs. 
uh, are out for the season with medical issues or injuries. So, you know, you, you would journey Brown go out first and now Noah Kane is out with an injury as well. And as a result of that right now, Sean Clifford, the quarterback has more rushing yards than the actual um, running back who's at number one in Devin Ford. So, you know, they're struggling in that part of their game. They're really relying on the passing game right now. And that's not going to hold up against a defense like Ohio State. Um, and it can certainly help Maryland's defense this week, I think. Just have – it pretty much eliminates the run game almost. Uh, not completely, but they're not going to pound the ball the way Northwestern and Minnesota did. Penn State's certainly going to throw the ball a lot more. And we've seen what Maryland's secondary looks like, at least – we know what Nick Cross can do at safety. We know what Tarheev still can do now as a freshman. And it's just up to other guys in the secondary, Antoine Richardson, Jordan Mosley, just other guys that can step up and really make an impact on this game. It's going to be this game for them, that they're facing an offense that's going to pass the ball a lot, uh, obviously without Brown and Kane. So they're going to rely on that pass game. And I personally think that helps Maryland's defense. Right. I think you're going to see a passing game all around, really. Um, you know, you mentioned that rushing. Penn State is only averaging 3.7 yards per attempt on the season for rushes, but they're also only allowing 3.5 for opponents. And, and then you look at the passing game. Obviously, Penn State is a lot stronger there, averaging almost 260 yards per game there. Um, and then they're allowing other teams 244 per game um, and six around seven per attempt and around eight per attempt for them. So I think, you know, you could have another game that's really pass heavy, but you're definitely going to see a game where I think Maryland's defensive line is going to have an easier job because they're not facing as good of running backs. They're not facing a team that's as good as running, but at the same time, is Penn state going to try and take advantage of that with Maryland because they know the defensive line is, is not great. So that's going to be something that's very interesting to watch. And I think that's the one area of this game on defense that Maryland has a big advantage in. Um, and the, the other thing I'm really interested to see on defense is going to be uh, the matchup between uh, Tar Heap still and uh, the top wide receiver for this Nittany Lion team in Jahan Dotson. Um, you know, Dotson's the best wide receiver on that team and still has been a huge bright spot to Maryland's defense, as I mentioned. And I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup to watch. There's a lot of different storylines in this game. Um, it's, it's just hard to tell how close it will be, but it seems like Maryland does have some advantages in some areas heading into this. Yeah, I mean... We, we've seen Dotson. He's almost at 1,000 career receiving yards, as well as Penn State's tight end, Pat Fryermuth. So their passing game is so much more – it's so much stronger than their running game is. And I think what you said with Tarheeb Still and uh, Dotson going up against each other, we saw Tarheeb Still pretty much maintain – or at least he was, he was guarding Rashad Bateman for most of the game, um, or at least covering him on most plays and he really contained one of the best receivers in the nation to five catches under 70 yards, um, no touchdowns. So if still can play like that, he's now moved to the number one spot on the depth chart there. There's no more or with another player. Um, so he's starting as a true freshman and we've talked all season long, all off season long about how young this Maryland football team is and they're starting him at, True, a, a true freshman in their secondary, and they really trust him. I know the coaches like him, the players like him. You mentioned some alumni talking about him. Um, I think that's there's so much upside to him, and that's gonna Maryland secondary, as I said before, is really gonna be the difference in this game. Whether they can contain the receivers, and whether a guy like Chance Campbell can have another great game of disrupting the passing game um, because they're not going to rely heavy on their running game. And as for Maryland's offense, they haven't scored a touchdown against Penn State since 2016. Um, so I definitely see that changing this week. Yeah, without question. You'd have, I mean, I thought it la last year, Maryland against Penn State at home Friday Night Lights was a sold-out crowd, one of the biggest games in College Park in recent years, maybe ever. 
and it was a 59 nothing score. I don't see that happening at all with the way Maryland's offense looked last week and kind of how de- – not depleted, but they've Penn State has lost a lot of skill, and there's no denying that. They're still a great team. They'll probably be ranked again. Um, and they're going to be hungry. Yeah, they're hungry. They're 0-2. They don't want to be 0-3. They don't want to lose to Maryland, especially James Franklin. And I think that this game has just so many different storylines within the game. Um, I'm excited for it. I think it's a lot more competitive, or I don't think. I know it's a lot more competitive than I thought it was when the season first started. When I looked at the schedule and said, oh, they got Penn State and Ohio State back-to-back weeks and Minnesota before that, that's not a good three-game stretch. Um, but here they are after a phenomenal performance, just finding a way to win defensively as well. And the way Penn State's offense sort of looks so far and the way they're coming in at 0-2, I think this game is going to be a lot closer than I originally thought. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see how uh, this go down goes down. I mean, right now, Penn State is favored by 25. Um, I definitely do not see – it being that big of a victory. Um, And I think, you know, I might sound a little naive for saying so. I realize it, you know, Maryland has tremendously struggled against Penn State. But I think Penn State, along with Michigan, are two teams in the Big Ten East this year that are not as good as they normally are. Um, Especially a team like Penn State at home, that is a giant stadium. They really feed off of that energy. And I think that's something important to consider. Going to Penn State is a hard place to go because of that crowd of over 100,000 people. And they don't have that this year. And I think, you know, that can play a factor as well. Um, But I think you're going to see a much closer competitive game. Now, as you mentioned, containing wide receivers and containing uh, a tight end, Pat Fryermuth, and also quarterback Sean Clifford are going to be two big tasks. And then facing this Penn State offense, you know, yes, this offense has allowed uh, 36 and 38 points, But, you know, those are against two very good offenses. And they do have some, you know, good defensive players there. So you mentioned Beaver Stadium and an atmosphere that Penn State plays in. The game against Ohio State this past weekend would have been their whiteout game. Uh, And anyone who watches college football knows that that sort of atmosphere, I guess you call it, is one of the toughest to play in in college football. and. Ohio State, that game might have been a little bit different if Penn State has a sold-out crowd there with the noise and everything. Um, So I think that is another small advantage for Maryland is going into Penn State, having to play with no fans there that are going to be loud, going to be throwing off their tempo and things like that. And just the confidence that they're riding in here with – I mean, it's not like completely two different storylines, but it almost is in a way that Penn State 0-2, hungry for their first win. Maryland's surging after their phenomenal game against Minnesota. But they're the underdogs in this one, right? Like, they're the ones with something to prove. The fact of the matter is they're still underdogs. Yeah, without question, just you look at both rosters and the way that it should be going is that Penn State was a top-10 team two weeks ago. Uh, There's no denying that. They had a tough loss to Indiana, and they – I always thought they were going to lose to Ohio State, but it's just some slight advantages that I see for Maryland. And again, I don't know if that'll play out on the field, whether or not Maryland wins the game or not. That's to be seen on the field. Um, Penn State has a lot of skill, but I think there's just some slight advantages to Maryland that some people might not realize the way that Penn State doesn't have their running backs, the way that Penn State doesn't have fans in the stands, they're 0-2, things like that just Maryland can kind of capitalize on. But again, I don't know if they will because Penn State's a better team. Penn State also does not have a star defensive player this year, right? We mentioned, you know, Gross Matos was, was drafted and he was their best player. And then this year, you know, you have Um, your best player opt out for the draft. And if you look at the Big Ten standings, you look at uh, the tackling leaders, the top 25 tackling leaders in the conference that we mentioned is led by Chance Campbell. Uh, Penn State only has one player on that list, and it's at 16 with Ellis Brooks. That's not a normal thing that you see in Big Ten stats whatsoever. 
Um, and you, you just look at these stats. I mean, they don't have a single player on the top 25 players in tackles for loss of the stack, the sack leaders in the conference. They only have one player on there. You look at passes defended. They also, they have Joey Porter on there who has two and that's it of the top 25. You look at interceptions um, and you have Lamont Wade on there who has uh, one interception, but uh, you just look across the board at defensive stats in the big 10, that Penn state would normally dominate. And you don't have that this year, right? You look at the uh, defense numbers in the big 10 and Penn state has the 10th best defense. Maryland has the 12th. Um, they have the sixth best offense. Maryland has the 11th just because that first game was bad, but you know, normally Penn State is towards the top of these numbers, and you're not seeing that so far this year. And so it's going to be a question of, okay, was this a matter of Indiana and Ohio State both being good? We obviously know Ohio State is good. Is this just that Indiana is really good and, and really turning this corner? Or is it that Penn State is bad, a mix of a combination of both? I mean, just where do you assess where Penn State is right now? I think it's a mixture of both, honestly. I don't really know which side to take. I don't think Penn State is bad right, I, at all. Yeah. I think they're a great team, and they had aspirations to go pretty far. Um, maybe even – I mean, I, I didn't see them winning the Big Ten East because of Ohio State. But a team that would usually be right outside of the college football playoff like they always are. Um, I don't think they'll get to that point. I didn't think that this year – and I don't think it for the next few seasons. But uh, the second part to that is whether Indiana is surging or not. I, I mean, they're 2-0. and I think Indiana is one of the most underrated teams in the conference. Now they're ranked pretty highly. Uh, and I saw it last year when they came into College Park and did pretty much everything right against Maryland. And I thought that was a game Maryland would win last year, and it was pretty lopsided. Uh, they have a great quarterback in Michael Penix Jr., a lefty, which, again, throws off defenses, things like that. Um, and they seem to find a w- seem to know how to find ways to win. And it's just – it's cr- kind of crazy how things have gone in the Big Ten so far. Just so many different upsets, so many different things going on, whether it's injuries, off-field issues, coronavirus-related things, and then on the field as well, just – upsets and losses and Penn State being 0-2 which is shocking and Michigan State after losing to Rutgers beating Michigan it's kind of just crazy how everything's going um, but I do think Indiana is a good team um, and I, I still think Penn State's good and I think they're going to figure it out but they might not be as phenomenal as we all thought as the top 10 team they were in the preseason. No, they're definitely not. I mean, and you just look at any stats around the Big Ten, and they're just – they're not where you think a Penn State team would be. And I think you have on both sides of this game you mentioned, Penn State wants to show they're, they don't want to go to 0-3, and Maryland wants to show, hey, last week was not a fluke. This is the team we are and the team that we're working to be. And I think, I think you are going to see a more competitive game than in recent years. Um, We'll see. I mean, you don't just go from 59-0 to winning against the team. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they will be able to pull off a victory, but I definitely think this will be closer than people are expecting. I mean, I think you can lose 59-0, and especially in college football, win the next you know, Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. I'm just saying, like, people listening to this are probably going to think – no, I'm not. I think a I'm lot of people in the country, there's a reason they're favored by 25. And it's, yeah, I mean, you know, those Minnesota, past years. Minnesota was favored by 20 and a half as well. So, right, I, 20 and a half, 19 and a half, somewhere around there. Yeah, you really don't know what is going to happen until the kick, the kickoff on, at 3.30 on Sunday. But I think with college football, especially this season, so many different players for both teams. Maryland, obviously, one of the youngest teams in the conference. Penn State's pretty young, too. Penn State is right there as well with a lot of true freshmen, a lot of redshirt freshmen, um, and they're missing their top guys. And that's the bottom line. They're still Penn State. They're still to be feared with. I'm not saying that they're going to they're gonna lose to Maryland, um, but I think Maryland has a shot here with 
the way the teams are trending. Okay, so with Maryland having a shot, what is, what is your prediction then? I'm uh, with a 20, what is it, 25 and a half they're favored by? Yeah. I, I think Maryland covers that by a lot. Uh, I think Penn State wins by a touchdown. And I like Joseph Petrino kicking another field goal. So I'll give Maryland, uh, I'll give both teams a field goal. I'll go 45 38. Penn State wins by seven. Yeah, I see Penn State winning by seven as well, maybe three. I think seven is more likely. I do think there's a chance Maryland can win this. I don't think it is likely, but I do think Maryland has a chance uh, going into this. And, you know, that's knowing all the games I've covered of Maryland losing to uh, Penn State, but I really do think just with how Penn State looks right now, how Maryland's offense looked, you know, this is going to be another game, I think, where um, you're going to have two good offenses. What do the defenses do? Um, I mean, we'll see. It's 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 definitely an interesting matchup. Um, yeah, I let's see. Hmm. I think we're going to go – what was your prediction again? 45-38 Nittany Lions. 45-38. I think Maryland's defense is going to let up a little bit Yeah. Uh, in terms of I, how much Penn State will score. Mm-hmm. But my prediction for their defense is that, again, the run game is going to be much improved in stopping the run. Um, I said that all along this episode, and I'll continue to say it until I'm wrong. But uh, I think with the depleted, I guess is the word for there, their, their running back room is depleted without their top two guys. Maryland struggled stopping the run. I think that changes this week. But Penn you know, State's passing game is still too strong. Yeah. That it'll, it'll put up 45. Okay, I'm going to go with a closer prediction. I'm, I'm going to have it as a three-point game. Might sound a little crazy. It was crazy overtime last week. You know, this offense looks good. Uh, I'm going to have a 38-35 game going to Penn State. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think this is really going to be a much better Maryland-Penn State matchup than you've seen in recent years. But – We'll see. I mean, it's, it's really just hard to know with college football this year. There's just so many different factors. And again, a reminder that Maryland hasn't scored a touchdown against the Nittany Lions in three seasons. So since that, that is definitely changing. I, I have no doubt in my mind that that is changing. I, I think that's an absurd streak. Uh, <laughs> but Oh, another prediction I have. I think either Tarheeb still or Nick Cross is going to have an interception. Yeah, it'd be nice to see something from the secondary, especially with a team that's going to rely heavily on passing. Yeah, so uh, we will have your coverage for throughout the week. With that, we'll have a preview coming out on Friday. I will be traveling up to Penn State along with Wes Brown. So we will have your coverage from Beaver Stadium. Make sure you're following to Studio Times on Twitter. And uh, stay tuned with all of our coverage. Thank you guys so much for joining us.